Everybody that you meet, you can learn something from them. That it's not necessarily what you achieve in life that matters most, but it's who you become in the process of those achievements that really matters. We all need people who believe in us. They expand the boundaries we place on our own lives. What makes me most proud is how I played the game. Being real, authentic, and spontaneous, and loving the game, to me, is what it was all about. When you retire, you may get a chance to go to football heaven. This is football heaven. Hello and welcome to The Mission. I'm your host, Jameer Howerton. As the 2020 draft gets underway, we're so honored to have one of the grand architects that built the Buffalo Bills teams of the 90s and the Super Bowl champion team of the Indianapolis Colts. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to The Mission, Mr. Bill Polian. How are you doing, sir? Thank you for your time today. Well, I'm doing fine, thank you. I hope uh, uh, as technologically challenged as I am, we can pull this off, but uh, I'm glad to be with you. Pro Football Hall of Famer and Gold Jacket Bill Polian, sir, if you could just tell us during this time, before we jump in and talk 2020 draft, how you and your family are doing throughout this time of quarantine, and what are some of the projects that you've been working on? Well, we've been doing fine. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I, I've been able to, uh, I got a chance to see my two eldest grandchildren for the first time last week, which was great. Uh, we miss the other grandchildren. We have nine in, in total. And at this time of year, we normally would be traveling to see each of them. And so that's a little bit difficult. But compared to um, the rest of the country, and particularly the, the, the great people that are working in the medical field and those who are terribly afflicted around the country, uh, we're in great shape. So our, we're, we're, we're grateful. Our prayers are, are, are ones of gratitude and and hope and, and best wishes for those that are afflicted and those who are so bravely taking care of them. Mr. Pauline, speaking of that hope, right now we're currently in week six of the shutdown. And when you look at the inspiration that sports has played in the fabric of our country, how great is it just to take a step back um, from everything and had the NFL draft this week, this, this, this weekend. And what does it mean to the country just to enjoy a little piece of sports throughout this time? Well, I think it means a great deal. Um, many years ago, Howard Cosell, who was quite controversial, uh, a commentator, uh, largely on sports, said that uh, sports was the toy department of life. And to, lar to a large extent, he was correct. But if we hearken back to World War II, at the start of World War II, the commissioner of baseball went to President Franklin D. Roosevelt and asked President Roosevelt if baseball should close down, if Major League Baseball should close down uh, because players were enlisting in the service and being drafted and the talent pool was severely limited. And President Roosevelt thought about it and he said, no, I want you to stay open no matter how you have to do it, because I think our people need a respite and, and a chance to relax and, and have some recreation in a very, very dark period for our country. Well, unfortunately, we're in the very same situation right now. The problem is that we don't have sports to look to because we can't play them. 
because the participants are at risk and certainly spectators and others that uh, were involved in producing the games would be at risk. So um, the fact that the draft is here and can be produced virtually and, and can uh, provide some interest and fun and excitement and certainly a respite from the constant barrage of bad news that we can't help but to hear um, is a good thing. And it shows that sports, while not as important as things like healthcare and first responders and, and, and our military and all the other wonderful people that allow us in sports to do our thing and allows fans to, to do it, while, while not as important as they, does play a pretty big role in the morale and, and the cultural life of our country. Thank you for those kind words, sir, those words of inspiration. Um, when we look at the 2020 draft, before we dive in, I just want the viewers and the listeners to understand the mindset of one of the great minds in football history in yourself of when you look at free agency and you look at the draft and how you married the two when you're building a dynasty, when you're building a team. Well, you mentioned that the two major um, parts of team building the third part of it is the salary cap because the salary cap impinges on team building that's what it's designed to do it's designed to prevent good teams from being good for a long time because competitive balance is the basis of why we have a salary cap why the players union in the first instance um, uh, accepted that I was part of the group along with Commissioner Tagliabu that negotiated that first agreement in 1993. And, um, and so competitive balance is caused by the salary cap because good teams have to disgorge highly paid players over time. Uh, for example, um, Buckner, the, the San Francisco 49ers could not resign Buckner. They had to trade him to the Indianapolis Colts. That's what the salary cap is there for. That's what it's designed to do. So uh, those three are the components. Um, depending upon what your cap situation is, and let's use the quarterback position as a prime example because it is the highest paid example. If you are the Seattle Seahawks, for example, and you have paid Russell Wilson, and you have paid others who catch the ball for him and run the ball for him and block for him, and certainly defensive stalwarts, they're a great defensive team. Um, you have to do most of your team building through the draft. You don't have a lot of flexibility in free agency because you don't have a lot of money to spend. Simple as that. The New England Patriots, the gold standard for the National Football League for the last uh, uh, 20 years, so to speak, um, are maxed out on the cap. They probably will have to make a trade for Joe Tooney um, during this year's draft in order to get some cap room. So uh, the good teams, when they have paid, highly paid players and they're up against the cap, have to build totally through the draft. So the draft becomes the primary driver of, new, uh, of an influx of new talent into your team. If you are not maxed out on the cap, if you are a team that does not pay a quarterback, because he's on his rookie contract. Let's use the Cleveland Browns as an example. Baker Mayfield's on his rookie contract. You then have money to go get those two veteran receivers, OBJ and Landry. Uh, and, and you can use free agency 
to actually build your team with mid-level veteran starters and then augment through the draft and, and try to get basically big needs like left tackle, for example, or star wide receiver or a pass rusher, as they did with the, with the first pick in the draft uh, a couple of years ago. You can get those guys through the draft and, and build your team if you have the cap room to do it. And so the ideal situation is to find yourself a great quarterback and not have to pay him for five years and build your team up accordingly. Uh, a lot easier said than done. Um, so it's a balance, but the balance is caused by how much cap room you have. Wow. That's very informative. Well, let's jump right in and talk 2020 draft. When you look at this 2020 draft class, and it's a bunch of guys, whoever you feel could be that those impact players. And you look at that day one, and who are some of those guys that you see are going to be those impact players on their team and why? Okay, I got to refer to my notes here. So just just bear with me. Um, I never have been able to regurgitate this uh, from uh, top to bottom without my notes, even when I was a GM. <laughs> I always had the board in front of me, so I was able to do it. Okay, let's talk about the quarterbacks first, uh, because quarterback is the most important position. You don't ascend to the heights in the National Football League without a quarterback who is very good. And, uh, and neither, do, neither can you stay there for a long time without a quarterback who's very good. Um, let me make a blanket statement here. And this is the history of the draft over the last 35 years. 65% of all players drafted will fail. Only 35% will contribute anything to, to the teams that draft them, top to bottom. 40% of the first round will fail. Another 20% of the first round will be only marginal producers, meaning that, that they were overdrafted. I hate that term, but <laughs> it, 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 it explains what we're talking about here. And so only 20% of the first round will really become top-notch contributors. And then it goes down round by round until you hit the second round, third round. When you hit the fourth round, you're, you're into the 10% hit rate and on down through the draft, including collegiate free agency. So it is far from an exact science, far from an exact science. And the names that we're talking about today, I guarantee will not be the names we're talking about a year from now. They'll disappear from, from public view quickly, either because of injury or because they're behind a veteran player or because their development hasn't taken place. And by the way, this year with no OTAs and, and, and maybe even a truncated schedule, that'll be even more uh, apparent. Rookies will not have the impact this year that they, that, which is minimal anyway, that they normally would. This is not a normal year in any respect. So with that disclaimer that this is far from an exact science, and all we know right now is where they stack up compared to their peers in college. And this, this is why Susie Culber at ESPN named me Buzzkill Bill, because I don't ever buy into the buzz. 
the we're comparing them to their peers in college, not to the guys they're going to be playing against in the NFL. That's all we know. So that said, um, I think Joe Burrow has a chance to be a really good quarterback in the NFL because quarterbacking is about accuracy, information processing, and leadership. Those are three things. And he's got those three things in abundance, at least at the college level. And he's had some bumps in the road, which he's survived and survived well. You know, the transfer from Ohio State, the fact that he couldn't beat people out, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he also comes from a football family. His dad was a player in, with the Montreal Alouettes and a, and a really good coach for a long period of time. So you know, he knows the game. It's, this is, that's a decided advantage. Um, I think Tua Tagovailoa is an exceptionally talented player. He's what we call a quick twitch athlete. He does things instinctively very quickly. Uh, his feet are exquisite. The way he moves, the way he sets up, his arm is outstanding. His accuracy is outstanding. Um, he, uh, he has really good leadership skills, and he has won at the highest level. Someone on a show yesterday asked me, well, is he good because he has a good support, uh, supporting cast? And I didn't think quickly enough to give the right answer. And the right answer is as follows. Without him, Alabama lost to Auburn and LSU and never even made the playoffs. So there's your answer. Who makes it the player, the supporting cast or the player? It's obviously the player because the supporting cast stayed the same and they didn't win. So um, the, uh, he, he's an outstanding prospect. The problem with him is uh, a, a series of injuries. And um, I hope we, it, I, if I'm going too long, stop me, but. No, this is great, sir, because I, I, that was my follow-up question with Tua and his injury. How much did that hurt him in this year's draft? Well, it hurts um, to some degree and, and to a significant degree. And here's why. Um, the doctors at every team grade the players just as the scouts and the coaches do. And the doctor's grades um, will vary in terms of how they're reproduced from team to team, the nomenclature they use. But let me use the, the grading system we used in Indianapolis. Uh, if a player had three surgeries during his college career for which he ne needed rehab time, then his grade can be no higher than a C on an A, B, C, D scale. If, if one of those surgeries was serious and debilitating, meaning it, it, it took a long time to recover from it, and it will have long-range implications, i.e. arthritis, and that would be a joint injury, a shoulder injury, a hip injury, a knee injury, um, then that knocks that grade down even further. So he would be in our system in Indianapolis, a C minus, and that would be generous. I would have to go plead with the docs and say, this is a first round talent, <laughs> you know, cut us a little slack here. And, and in most cases they will, because they have, they need to understand context. And, uh, and so he would be a C minus, which would mean that I would have to go to the owner and get approval to draft him in the first round. 
the owner would have to make that decision. And I would say to the owner, look, there is a chance that this might backfire because he is a C minus injury. We would normally not consider him in the first round with, with this kind of situation. Um, the, the doctors tell us, and, and this is true because I've talked to a number of doctors, not the Indianapolis doctors, but other doctors that I know around the league. Um, the, the hip injury that he, that he sustained, a, a dislocation and a fractured uh, a bone in the hip, um, it is well healed. There should be no problem with that. They think that he'll be able to come back. There's one small caveat. Once you've dislocated once, there is a larger chance you'll dislocate again. It's rare, but it happened to Dennis Pitta of the Baltimore Ravens. Now, he wasn't playing quarterback. He was playing tight end and involved in many more untoward collisions, if you will. But, it, but it's a fact. It's rare, but it's a fact. But every doctor agrees that he will have arthritis in that joint at some point. Arthritis is inflammation. It limits your practice time and it requires management to play, i.e. When will that show up? Nobody knows. It's different in, in different people, but it is a risk. So as you would be explaining, as I would be explaining it to the owner, I would say the likelihood is that we're looking at less uh, of a, an effective top flight 10-year career that we expect from a top 10 draft choice. Basically speaking, you're hoping to get 10 years of top flight play from a top draft choice, 10 and 10. And the likelihood is, I misstated that. The chances are that that might not be the case. So now the owner has to say, as I'm sure Jim Irsay would uh, when I worked for him, how good is he? The answer is, he's very good. But like, he's got a chance to be able to lead us to the promised land. So let's, and, and, and knowing Jim the, the way I do, I mean, you know, he, he probably would say, all right, let's go. Let's take a chance. And there's even more reason to do that because we now have a rookie wage scale for, uh, which, which limits the financial exposure that you would have toward Tua relatively speaking, compared to what we paid Peyton Manning when he came out as the first pick in the draft. He, got, he had the highest contract in the league for a quarterback at that time. Two is going to be nowhere near that, So uh, even over five years. So um, that's a long way of explaining that I think Tua will be on people's boards as a first-round draft choice. I even think people will try and trade up to get him. I think he'll go in the top ten in the draft. But it's always possible that there are enough teams that say, no, we're not going to touch him that high that he could tumble. So that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, excuse me. Go ahead. No, I was about to say, with that being said, and as you're going down, who are your top 10 players in the draft that you see going? Okay. Uh, Burrow, Tua, uh, Herbert, the quarterback from uh, Oregon State, Chase Young. Uh, outstanding defensive end from uh, Ohio State. Jeff Okuda, uh, cornerback from Ohio State. Uh, Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle from Georgia. Um, 
Derek Brown, defensive tackle from Auburn. Um, Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle from South Carolina. Isaiah Simmons, he may be actually after Chase, not maybe, actually after Chase Young, he's the most dynamic defender in the draft. Um, and then we start to get into the receivers, Jerry Judy from uh, Alabama, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, and that, that, that would be, and then Becton, the offensive tackle from uh, Louisville would kind of close out the top 10. I had a chance to catch up with Gold Jacket Willie Rolfe the other day, and he talked about the offensive linemen that are in this year's draft, that um, these are offensive linemen that you can see play over the course of the next 10 years with your eye of being a former general manager, if you will. What is your take? Because the offensive line, like he said, is the cornerstone of your team. Yeah, this is a really deep group of offensive linemen. Uh, you start with Andrew Thomas from Georgia. He plays left tackle. He's a big, powerful guy. Um, he's an adequate pass protector. I think he's going to need work doing that, and he's probably going to suffer a little bit against speed receivers until he learns technique enough to deal with them, but, but he will. Uh, I don't think he's an instant plug-and-play success, but very few people are at left tackle. Um, Jedrick Willis from Oklahoma, uh, he, he's going to get moved, I think, to left tackle. Um, he, he, he plays right tackle now because two is left-handed, so they put him over on, on, on you know, on two is blind side. Um, I, I think he has the ability to make the transition. He's a big, powerful man. Every offensive tackle from every offensive lineman from Alabama is a really good run blocker. Um, it, he he's got the ability, I think, to play left tackle. I'm I'm wary of projections. People who have not played the position before, it's ameliorated some by the fact that he's at Alabama and 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 as well coached as he's ever going to be coached in the NFL. Um, Nick Saban thinks he can make the transition. That's good enough for me. Um, as a right tackle, I've no question about it. He's he be an outstanding player. Um, Becton is a mountain of a man, 365 pounds, an incredible wingspan, not a lot of fat on his body. He's not a fat 365 pounds. He's a, he's a, you know, a giant of a man. He's got amazing feet for a man that big. And you need two things to play really well at left tackle in the National Football League. You need width and length because it's just geometry the wider you are and the longer your arms the harder it is for the defender to run around you and then you need quick feet because you do have to keep up with the Dwight Freenies of the world so and the Von Millers of the world so he's got both he's raw his technique is raw they did a lot of play action stuff at at, at Louisville so he's not used to straight drop back kind of protection. Um, but I think he'll be fine. Now he's got some off field issues that give me a, a lot of concern, but um, probably less so now that the, the, the street drug policy has changed. He's not going to be subject to suspension. So um, that ameliorates it a little bit. I think those are the, uh, uh, those are the, the top 
three guys, but this is a deep offensive tackle class throughout. Who was that one sleeper pick that may be a second, third round, excuse me, a second rounder, but may slip their way up into day one, a first round pick? I think uh, Kyle Komet from Notre Dame. Uh, most people, including myself, had him as a sec solid second rounder. Uh, we began the draft process, but this is not a deep tight end class to begin with. And secondly, he is a player who's rather complete in the sense that he's a decent blocker. Um, he's not terrifically fast. He's not Dallas Clark, for example, or, or, or San Francisco's guy. Uh, you know, he, he can't run that well. But he, but he does run really good routes. He's got good hands. He's good running after the catch. He's a big man. Uh, he's a good athlete. Uh, he was a left-handed uh, closer for the baseball team. Uh, you know, had a 90-mile-an-hour-plus fastball major league prospect at, at Notre Dame. And, uh, and he's smart. Uh, so teams that are in need of a, of a tight end are, are going to say, I don't know that we can sit in the second round and take him here. We're, people are going to try and move up into the first round, I think, to get him at the bottom of the first round. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go anywhere after, you know, from 20 on down. With all the negotiation that goes on during the draft, what teams do you see that may try to move up and trade up to get their guy? And who would that player be, sir? Well, you got to, there's a pivot point in every draft. And sometimes two and three, in the, and they're usually always in the first round because trades after the first round are made on the spot when your guy is on the board because they're after a specific player. So the, the predetermined trades come in the first round. The first pivot point is Detroit because they want a defensive player and they can get out um, of three. And, and as a result, um, you know, the question is, who wants to go up to three and for what? Well, the answer is perhaps for a quarterback, more than likely a quarterback. Um, and that would be Miami at five, who has lots of draft capital to spend uh, to get up there. Uh, it might be Jacksonville at nine, although I, I, I'm a little skeptical of that. Um, and it, uh, we're hearing talk, surprisingly, from people that New England is trying to get up. But New England's at 23, and to go to three, even though there's great relations between the two franchises, which counts, by the way, Bob Quinn and, and Matt Patricia worked for Bill Belichick, so that's important. Um, there's still a long way to go. Uh, you know, would you go from from – Three to 23, no, absolutely not. So there's going to have to be a three-way deal where New England jumps up to a position where uh, somebody is willing to, um, to uh, get out and, uh, and then jump from there to three to get uh, – or, or, or five, for that matter, if Miami were willing to do it with, uh, to get either Tua or, or Herbert. Uh, we presume that Burrow will be gone at one to Cincinnati. So um, those are the two pivot points. And those are the people that are being talked about going up. Now, are there people who want to go up for Simmons? 
Um, it is entirely possible. I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out at all. So again, you could see people trying to come up to Miami, for example, if they stayed put and didn't want Simmons, um, or even Detroit, if they stayed put and didn't want Simmons. You could see people trying to get up for Simmons. If everything goes as planned, which is two scenarios. One, Detroit stays and picks Okuda. The next pivot point is five with Miami. The next pivot point would be um, seven at Carolina, depending on who's there. And then after that, it's, it's, it's anybody's guess because you got to know who's gone in front of them. For example, would Cleveland want to get out of 10? Well, they need a tackle very badly. If there are a lot of tackles still there, they might, they might entertain it. But three and five are the two key pivot points. And the people, in my opinion, that you would go up for would be Judy, Simmons, or one of the quarterbacks. Who were some of those day two um, second and third rounders that you see that could could be an impact player that may have slipped from the first round that are in that second and third round that you know day two you can really find a, a, a gem if you will. Oh, day two you should you should hit a home run really. I mean that it's that's not you, you got to hit on day two. He's got to be that guy has to be a a. a uh, a very solid player for you, a contributor. Otherwise, you haven't had a good draft. Um, theoretically, one and two should help your team. Anything after that is is a is a plus. But one and two really have to help. Um, so let's start with the quarterback position. Um, Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason are two names that may name may may not make it into the into the first round. Um, I, I suspect they won't. Uh, I feel strongly that Fromm may not, but, um, you know, we're what do I know? <laughs> we're now. Uh, we'll find out in, in, in three days. But I think you um, know a lot. It's safe to say that you know a thing or two about picking a franchise quarterback. So you're one of the, like I said, the great architects of building this game. So I, I think, you know, people are going to hold on to this. Those are two names to, to keep uh, an eye on. And depending on how things go, typically, you could find six quarterbacks drafted in the first round if people decide to make a run on because they could get, they could get to the, the midpoint, at, let's say, at 24. And people who are down that are interested in a quarterback who are down in the 40s might say, I got to go up. So I, w I wouldn't be surprised. It's, it's extraordinary. And I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it happening, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did. I have Jordan Love. My grade on him isn't a first round grade, but I have him um, going at, at the bottom of the first round. Uh, let me explain one other thing, if I may. Absolutely. Fans understand what we're what they're listening to tomorrow. There are 32 picks in the first round. There are not 32 graded first round players on everyone's board in America, on every team's board in the NFL. 
typically an average of 20 players have first round grades. Now they're not all the same players because everybody looks at things differently. Some teams have different defensive and offensive systems. So that's how you get to 32. But every team does not have 32 first round grades. And as you talk to people around the league, uh, and everybody does talk to everybody else in general terms. Most people will say this year, eh, you know, I've got about 18 guys in the first round. That's about it. Which is why you see teams from 20 on down, New England being a prime example, generally trading down because they're saying to themselves, I can get uh, the same player, same grade in the second round. I don't have to pay big money. I can pick up an extra pick to do it. So that's why you heard me say a couple of sentences ago that you should hit on your second-round pick because there's a lot of good players there. They're just not first-round guys. You know, they're only first they, – in any given year, 20 first-round guys on average. So <clears throat> that, that's the – I should have given you that context at the outset. Having said that, Promineson – I think the running back group in the second round uh, is going to really be pretty good. Cam Akers is a guy that, that, that I think people don't know a lot about from Florida State, pretty explosive. Jonathan Taylor, you've heard a lot about. Most people think he'll go in the first round. J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, I really like. He's probably a high second rounder. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Ran a poor time, four, five, six, I believe, which is which is not great, uh, but he's a terrific back. Uh, he may be a, a a jump into the bottom of the first round guy. Somebody, people may decide to beat everybody else to him. I think he's really going to play. Other names that you're going to hear in the running backs, which is this is a really a good group. Eno Benjamin, little guy with great pass catching skills, second, third rounder. Antonio Gibson. Big upside, big, powerful guy who played other positions. He played slot receiver, believe it or not, at, uh, at uh, Memphis. He is a big, powerful runner, a big blaster. Uh, I think people think about him at the bottom of the second. Um, Zach Moss, again, not a great 40-time, real solid slam-bang kind of runner. Um, and Anthony McFarlane Jr., who is a, a, a speedster. He is really a shake and bake and speed guy, a little on the slight side. He's a guy that will be bottom of the second, perhaps top of the third. And then a little further down, but a guy that I really have a feel for, I think he will make it in the league because he's a terrific short yardage and goal line guy, is A.J. Dillon from Boston College. He's, straight, he's a straight line power guy, so he's not going to be your principal back. But – Short yards and goal line guys win games because they keep the chains moving, they score touchdowns, and they run in four minutes. And so, uh, you know, that, that's a name to, to keep in the back of your head. As far as receivers are concerned, K.J. Hamler, a little guy from Penn State. I mean, he's truly a little guy, 5 feet 10, 185 pounds, but he can fly, and he's absolutely dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, Justin Jefferson will go in the first round, I think, from from uh, from uh, LSU. Brandon Ayuk may go at the top of the second. Um, LaVisca Chenault, because he's had injuries, look for him in the second round. He's a guy who was a slot 
slash running back at Colorado. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands, but he's got an injury history. So he'll be, you know, down a little bit lower, but I think he's a guy that, that, that will play. Um, tight ends, um, Adam Troutman from Dayton. That's, that's a, I think, is a pretty good second-round name. Hunter Brighton, uh, Bryant, uh, Bryson Hopkins. Um, Thaddeus Moss, probably third round from uh, Randy Moss's son from, uh, from uh, LSU. Um, linemen, again, tackles. Um, I think you could get five in the first round. Uh, Thomas, Wills, Beckton, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, who I failed to mention before. He's a definite first rounder. And Isaiah Wilson. So, uh, you know, Austin Jackson's a name to keep in mind. Uh, defensively, uh, defensive players usually go pretty early. Um, Patrick Queen. Some people are talking about him in the first round. He may end up at the top of the second linebacker from uh, LSU. Uh, Neville Gallimore, a defensive tackle, and Justin Madubuke, defensive tackles, both of whom I think are guys that you want to absolutely keep your eye on. Uh, they, they're going to be names you'll hear, I think, next year. Um, Zach Braun, a linebacker from Wisconsin, big, tough, hard-nosed kid probably a second rounder. Julian Okwara, outside linebacker, outstanding rusher, can play in a 4-3 as a, as a rush end or an outside linebacker in a 3-4 from Notre Dame. Uh, that's a good name. I think Christian, uh, Christian Fulton will go in the first round from LSU, but he's people. some people have him at the top of the second. I, I think he'll go in the first. Jalen Johnson probably is a, from Utah. He's probably the, the – and Jeff Gladney, from TCU are probably the two second rounders that if you said to me, put a bet down that they'll make it and play well in the National Football League, I'd go into my wallet on those guys. Now, when you look at day three, Mr. Polian, it's the fourth through the seventh round. Um, and as I'm hearing you talk, you, you want to hit on day one and day two, but is it the philosophy of taking the best available player who was there? Um, do you look at the beauty of the draft, of looking at the depth of where you can find that diamond in the rough as you go like later, later in the in the draft? And does this draft provide that depth that you can pick a player up in the in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round? Every draft does, but there's a philosophy that you have to follow if you're going to be successful at it. And again, I'll, I'll be a little long-winded here, but I think it's important for fans to understand what general managers really think as opposed to what somebody's telling them from the television set. Um, the draft is divided into three areas. Uh, maybe, maybe four is a better way to put it. First two rounds, we've talked about it. Third round, which contains players who have in the parlance of the scouting trade holes in them. They're either big producers who don't have the PQs, physical qualities to play in the league. They don't have the height, the weight, the speed, the, 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 the agility scores that people say, this guy's a sure thing to make it in the league. Or they are players who have all of those PQs, but who don't produce at a high level for whatever reason. Either they're not smart enough, they're not dedicated enough, 
they have problems off the field. That's who falls into the third round. So the third round is really a grab bag. And you have to know in the third round what your philosophy is. You can't go from one year to the next to say, well, I like this guy this year, but I don't like him for that reason next year. We were awful in the third round in the early years in Indianapolis. I don't know how many we missed on, but a lot. <laughs> and people actually wrote, you know, articles about this. And these guys are great in the first and second round. They strike out in the third round. Well, they were right because we, we hadn't really developed a philosophy. And our philosophy in the third round was don't try to fill a positional need. Take the best player that fits our parameters. And after we did that, we, we started to do pretty well. So that's rounds one, one and two, round three. Round four, because of the three-day uh, format, is one where you reshuffle the board. And you sit there on Friday night and you say, okay, who in the fourth round do we absolutely need to get? And now lots of trades are talked about and formatted after Friday's round ends between teams because mm -hmm. they're going to get a specific player who may be gone if they sit and wait for their place in the fourth round. So there's a lot of action there because there's very few players who you have good grades on left at that point in time. Very few. Might be in any given, any given board no more than three or four. Mm. So you're sitting there saying, boy, I better go get this guy. So let's try and Baltimore's up there with two picks at the top of the round. I'm, I'm making this up, obviously. It's, it's, it's just an example. Let, call Ozzy and let's see if we can trade for one of those picks. That's what happens. So you've got – that's a targeted round. So first two, we've got guys check every box, right? Third round, specific philosophy. We're going to take a chance on a guy with poor PQs but great production. We're going to take a chance on a guy with – great production, but poor PQs, we're, or we're going to take the guy that has fits, checks every box for us only. Uh, if not, we'll trade out. Um, that's the third round, specific uh, philosophy. And then the fourth round is targeted guns. Now, from about the middle of maybe the second two-thirds of the, of the fourth round on down, now you're into players that you believe can make your team because they fill a specific need. So, you know, you're looking at, we need a left tackle. Okay. Who's the best left tackle left? Is he worth taking? There was parameters. His numbers meet our parameters. You've answered that question previously. That's why they're on the draft board. So, and that's why they're in the round they're in. So you continually try to cull that out as the draft process goes on. So we didn't have a lot of names on our board. We, had, we always um, strove to get to 100. We never did. But it was always around 105, 107. So, you know, over 60 of those are gone by the time you hit the, hit the fourth round. So now... You're, you're just letting the board talk to you 
and trying to take the best football player. And if, if it happens to fill a need, that's great. Now, when you get into the sixth and seventh round, now the, you're thinking about two things. Number one, players that you might have a, a priority free agent grade on, but you don't want to compete for in the open market. So I got a priority free agent grade on you. And I got a pick in the sixth round. And I don't like what I'm seeing on the board. There's nobody we're in love with. Well, let's go get the priority free agent because we, we have love for him. We, we have a feeling for him. Let's get him. And we're happy. So that's one way you approach those, those latter rounds. The other way is to, if there is no priority free agent that you're willing to draft and there's nobody up there that excites you, then go fill a need for training camp that's hard to fill. Offensive linemen, particularly tackles, and quarterbacks. So if you need a fourth quarterback and there's nobody else you're in love with, go get the next highest rated quarterback and you don't have to compete for them in free agents. Having said that, that's the overall picture. Now, here's where the so-called sleepers come in. There aren't nearly as many as the talking heads would lead you to believe. Uh, scouts know what they're looking for. Teams cover the marketplace. They know who's out there. Occasionally, occasionally, and I'll give you two examples, you can know of a player who is either overlooked because he only fits a specific system like Antoine Bethea, who played three deep safety in a pure zone scheme at Howard University, not a big level of football. Our scouts tagged him, had a priority free agent grade on him, I believe. Our great personnel director, Dominili, Tom Telesco, Chris Polian, Tony Dungy, myself got into the process along with the defensive backfield coach. I think it was Leslie Frazier at the time. And we all studied him. And finally, I went to Tony and I said, before I gave the tape to Tony, I said, we really like this guy. I'm convinced he can play corner for us, but he plays safety at Howard. Tony looked at the film. He said, I agree it can be a corner, but let's leave him at safety in the first instance because he'll feel more comfortable there. And then we can move him after his rookie year. Okay. Tony said, where do you think we can get this guy? I said, well, if we don't talk a lot about him, um, probably uh, in the sixth round. So he said, okay, put the tape in the drawer. That was the, we, we, we didn't circulate the tape widely. <laughs> that was the, that was the phraseology we used. We put it in the drawer. We took him in the sixth round. First day of training camp, for, for whatever odd reason, uh, we, we typically always had a rookie camp to break them in slowly. We didn't in this particular year. So he's out there going against Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison and Dallas Clark, et cetera. And uh, first practice, he gets an interception. Second practice, he gets an interception. Third practice, he gets this interception. Tony walked over to me and said, I think we'll leave him at safety. 
So 14 or 15 or 16 years later, he's still playing in the National Football League. So that's the true sleeper that you're able to uncover because of great scouting work in the first instance and then really good work by your decision makers in terms of where to put him in the draft. Well, I'm sure when we drafted Antoine Bate in the sixth round, a lot of people said, wait, that's too high. Uh, no. And it probably was, but we had a conviction on it. The, 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 other, uh, the other one that, 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 that's more the, the uh, rule than the exception was uh, Pierre Garçon from Mount Union. Uh, Division three, but Mount Union would beat most Ivy League teams seven days a week and twice on Sunday. It's a high-powered program. But Antoine was so good that he only played half the game. You know, he'd score two touchdowns. He'd run the kickback for a touchdown, a punt for a touchdown. Mount Union would be up by 40 points, and he'd sit down. So there wasn't a lot of tape on him. He, he, I forget whether – I think he was at the combine. However it was, he ran a phenomenal time. Big guy, 6'2", 190. But playing in a, in a, you know, in a, in a conference that's the best Division three conference, but it's nonetheless Division three. So some of these guys slipped through the cracks. But he was well-known, and we felt we had to pull the trigger on him early if we wanted to get him. Um, typically he would have been a free agent or a seventh rounder. We drafted him higher than that. And he came in and had a real good career for us and then left in free agency and ended up having a nine or 10 year career in the league. He's more the exception than the rule, the division three guy who comes in. Now the gurus on television don't know him. So, you know, eh, that may be too high. No, no, we all know. Him. So those are the two, those are the two ways you get, quote sleepers wow amazing amazing stories and great insight um before we let you go we have to ask you about your all-time favorite draft class you being a hall of famer not saying that these players have to be in the hall of fame but just as you you know you rank a hall of fame draft class in 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 in, in your perspective who would, who would have been that all-time favorite bill polian draft class well, first of all, you're asking me to pick between my children, so I can't do that. <laughs> I, don't, I love them all the same. <laughs> but I do think that I believe it was the class of 84 or 85 that had Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, et cetera, all those great quarterbacks in it. That, that was one that really was a monumental class and had such a great, great effect on the, on the national football league. Um, so I would say that's the one that sticks in my mind as, as one of the most outstanding as a GM, I did not study very honestly, the overall strengths of classes. When I was asked that question, I'd always say, I don't know, I'm concentrating on the guys that I need to get for the Buffalo bills or the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I don't do analysis of the whole class, I, and I'm not smart enough to do it anyway. <laughs> it's hard enough to find seven, much less judge, you know, 350. And for yourself, you know, we had a chance uh, to speak with former general manager John Dorsey of the Cleveland Browns when he came to visit uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he said there are three people that he speaks to at least once a week. Gil Brandt, Ron Wolf, 
and yourself, Bill Paulian. What does it mean to you to be able to part insight and wisdom to the general managers and the player personnel staff that are currently in the league today trying to build their franchises? One, it's very gratifying. Uh, two, it's exceedingly enjoyable because it keeps me plugged into uh, an industry and a process that I really enjoy. Uh, this was a fun time of year. Marvin Levy, who's my mentor, used to say, the draft is the greatest time of the year. Everybody's undefeated and hope springs eternal. So, uh, and it is, I really enjoyed it. I, as you can tell, I mean, it's, 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 it was a labor of love. So to be able to stay connected and to share thoughts and experiences with, uh, with, with people as I'm able to do is a, is a blessing. And lastly, when you get that draft class, when you were with the Buffalo Bills and, and the Indianapolis Colts, were there, was, was there ever a time, or maybe that time was during the combine, that you actually had a chance to address those young prospects that were coming to your club? And what was those words of wisdom that you imparted to them? Yeah, actually, I did both. Uh, at one point, the combine had a, uh, a program where general managers would address a position group that had come in to, to work out at the combine. And the message that I, I would always impart to him was as follows. I would say, who do you think your competition is? Uh, how many people think your competition is the guys that are in this room? And, and about 60% of the room would raise their hands. And the other 40%, you know, I'd pick somebody out and say, who do you think your competition is? And, the player would say, well, it's, it's people who are in the league that I have to beat out in order to get a job. So I said, you just won the prize for the right answer. The competition is not in their class of peers. The competition, these were the words almost verbatim that I used, is right now in the weight rooms in the National Football League, lifting, running, studying film, working on their deficiencies, working on their diets, doing everything they can get better to kick your butt when they come to training camp. <laughs> so you better buckle up and, and, and be ready because these guys are not welcoming you with open arms. They're not handing you your jersey and saying, welcome to the National Football League. They're going to say, hey, Rook, let's see what you got. Um, so that was the that was the, the the combine speech. When I talked to our own rookies, as I did every year, I said, "Here are the tenets, the principles of faith that we live by. One, one hundred percent effort, all the time in everything you do, is the price of admission. You don't get any credit for that. It's expected." Two, how you conduct yourself off the field is as important as how you conduct yourself on the field. Nobody embarrasses the owner. Nobody embarrasses the franchise. You have an opportunity here. Not, this is not a God-given right. It's an opportunity you have to earn. Three, nobody harasses you. There is no hazing here. This is not Phi Delta Kappa. This is a profession. Your job is to come in here and work hard and learn and be the best you can be. And the veteran's job 
is to help you be the best you can be. Because if you become the best you can be, you help us win in the long run. And finally, with the exception of contract value, from today on, from the day you stepped in this seat and signed your contract as, a, as an Indianapolis Colt, everybody is equal. Nobody gets the benefit of the doubt. Nobody gets a free ride because they were drafted in the first round, second round, third round. It doesn't matter. You're all equal. And we're going to judge you by one standard. Do you help us win? Do you improve this franchise? Now go do the best you can do. Wow. Those are the words of wisdom from Mr. Bill Paulian. Oh my gosh. So I know you're excited for the draft tonight. How will you watch it on television and you'll have your iPad, you know, kind of taking notes? I will, yep. I got to do a lot of work for Sirius Radio post-draft. So, yes, I'll be watching and taking notes. Well, happy draft day. Enjoy the draft, sir. And we just appreciate you so much for joining us right here on The Mission.